Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. This is the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me. I've got Sam Bassini with me. It's technically Monday, now the Monday after Selection Sunday because it is after midnight on the East Coast and, and where it began. Are you guys exhausted like I'm exhausted? Norlander, are you holding up okay? Dude, I'm doing all right, and I love like I love Selection Sunday. I love the bracket. Um, this one was just uh, I, like I'm pumped to this podcast because there's so much I want to run through. But yeah, for whatever reason, maybe you know, it was a long grinding championship week. Um, but hey, listen, it's it's awesome to finally have this thing in front of us. I know we've got plenty to hit on, plenty of criticisms. My mind is kind of going a mile a minute, and and not only that, GP, but. Um, You've got the bracket stuff, but and we go over this every year. And then you've got the freaking coaching movements. Like that is such, that's almost like the world that people aren't seeing right now is like everyone's pumped about the games and stuff, but there is just a whole bunch of swirl with coaches and guys that could be, should be on the move and stuff that's going to be happening over the course of the next two, five, seven days into the next two or three weeks. No, it's consuming. I mean, in the spirit of full disclosure, we were supposed to start recording this about an hour earlier, and I sent a text message to you guys saying, hey, I, Trent Johnson's getting fired. I'm working on this. Like, it's going to go down any minute, and it – it went down uh, as we're recording this about about 20 minutes ago. I was told he was told, informed uh, in a meeting with his athletic director tonight. So TCU um, is a Big 12 job that's open. Um, seems likely. I think everybody expects Oklahoma State to also open. So there could be two Big 12 jobs uh, open, honestly, by the time some of you listen to this. <laughs> but uh, there's certainly one at least. TCU is uh, is open Uh, Trent Johnson no longer the coach there. So here's the thing that's weird about Selection Sunday for me. And it's that, you know, I can remember being a college basketball fan, like just a fan, and I'd get the bracket and I'd look at it and I'd I'd fill it out and I'd notice things that I found interesting. And yet, honestly, I haven't really looked at the bracket too much tonight, even though it was released like (laughs) several hours ago, because we are writing nonstop. And then I'm working on like Trent Johnson stuff. Like, so I'm like text messaging with uh, all sorts of different sources within the industry. I'm writing about um, things and trends and stuff that I know, but like, I was just looking at the bracket right before, right before, uh, you know, we started this podcast and I'm like, Oh, wow. Um, Texas and Texas A&M could maybe play in the round of 32. That's neat. Oh, wow. Temple and uh, Villanova could maybe play in the round of 32. That's neat. But my favorite thing that could possibly happen in the round of 32 is that Indiana and Kentucky could play, which means this. Two teams that were ranked preseason top 15, two teams that both won their conference championships. So um, they were supposed to be good. They have been good. And on Saturday night, by Saturday night, one of their fan bases, because both their fan bases are passionate, maybe the two most passionate fan bases in America, by Saturday night, one of them is going to be in a complete meltdown. The, like, like well, by Saturday night, either Indiana fans or Kentucky fans are going to be losing their minds on social media mm-hmm. because there is, it's, it is impossible with how the bracket is situated um, for Indiana and Kentucky to both make it to the second weekend is that the is that going to be the story of the weekend or or is this the ncaa tournament we have no idea what the story is going to be for the weekend go ahead sam i would think that that's probably going to be the story this weekend i think that they both get past their first round opponents chattanooga is really good but i think indiana is a little bit better and then uh, stony brook was one of the stories of this weekend uh making their first ncaa tournament appearance after jameel warney just goes for 43 uh, in their championship game, just carries that team on the back. I swear, I don't think he's taken the net off uh, that they cut down <laughs> at the American at the America East tournament yet. It's, he's worn it in like every single interview, and it's great. And he also like on Twitter, he apparently like shout outs Mark Morrison, like the return of the Mac guy, like it regularly. And like thanks, yeah, and like thanks oh my him God. for like basketball like the entire season and i didn't know this um jameel wardy's awesome but i feel bad that he's probably going to lose to kentucky um and that's going to be the storyline you're going to talk indiana and kentucky uh and if indiana loses that game to kentucky we're going to be right back where we were coming into the season square one tom crean uh probably a little bit on the hot seat next year (laughs) 
Oh, no, listen, if Indiana loses, doesn't get to the second weekend, Indiana fans are going to be firing Tom Crean. And it's going to be bad. It, it's it, going to be really bad. It'll be really bad. And likewise, Kentucky fans won't want to fire John Calipari, but they will start to question if he does enough <laughs> with, with, with his. With there's his, there's no way. No, there's no way what? That they won't question him? Like they won't say. No way. Dude, you don't know Kentucky fans then. Norlander, back me up on this. They There will be Kentucky fans. If Kentucky loses in the round of 32, be Kentucky fans saying, what's the point of getting all these five-star recruits if all we do is lose to Indiana in the round of 32? I promise you that's coming. It won't be sensible, but it'll be it'll be real. It'll be there. It'll happen. It, it, that'll come to a certain extent, without a doubt. Um, a couple quick thoughts on that pod, and then I think we should just – let's address the, uh, the committee and, and seating and bracketing and stuff because I think we should just – get rid of that stuff off the top there because i know a lot of people are listening are going to want our opinions on the disaster that is this bracket as for the pod <laughs> um i'm super excited to see warney go up against kentucky i would have loved for stony brook which was a rightful 13 that was a good seating for them to get a different kind of opponent they just won't have the backcourt to face up with kentucky uh indiana kentucky would be a tremendous tremendous game to get on that weekend um, we'll probably get into this a little bit more uh, on the Wednesday podcast. I don't even have Indiana getting to the second round. What? Shout, shout out to Matt McCall. Um, oh but Matt is so, firing Tom Crean tomorrow. And so, uh, listen, I, I, I did. They make us call in our bracket like after it's released, and it's always just an absolute mess. Um, but GP is right. Uh, Kentucky fans, while they appreciate what Calipari has done. If that team doesn't get to the second weekend, he'll get he'll get some blowback. It won't be overwhelming or anything like that, but there certainly is a, a, a strong section of the fan base that believes it is the birthright of Kentucky fans to minimally make Sweet 16s on a year in and year out basis. Oh yeah, no, it'll be uh, it'll be a meltdown. So that's going to be interesting. Shame on you, uh, Norlander, for picking uh, against Tom Crean in the round of 64. This is a this is a pro Tom Crean uh, podcast. <laughs> Uh, we, we're the ones who have cre- are are going to create the you can't spell uh what 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 is it you can't spell you can't sp- yes. you can't you can't spell ladder without you can't spell ladder without c r e a n you can't spell ladder without c r e a n just isn't true but yeah <laughs> doesn't okay. matter doesn't matter if it's true Norlander it just matters if it's funny and so uh, for you <laughs> I know so and, <laughs> and so kind of like the bracket this year and I do it's love funny. I do love Matt McCall I, I I you know it'd be an awesome thing for him but uh, I I can't. Uh, I can't accept you picking against Tom Crean in the round of 64. That's unacceptable, Norlander. I, I, you, have, you have time to reconsider before we get, get to the actual round of 64. So, Sam, listen, one of the things you did tonight is um, call the selection committee dumb and stupid over and over again with actual details to back this up. Share with us what you found when you started looking at the bracket as it relates to, oh, my God, what were these people doing? Okay, so there are a lot of different things going on here. Like there is the subjective uh, where, you know, you could say that Monmouth should be in over Vanderbilt, right? Like stuff like that. Like, and, and we'll get to that too. But like, just like objectively, the committee screwed this up so badly that it's remarkable. So first they put Kansas in the South uh, instead of the Midwest. The difference between Louisville and Chicago mileage wise is like three miles or so. <laughs> But the difference between the South and the Midwest for Virginia is ridiculous. Like, it's so much closer to go Louisville than it is to Chicago, right? So, like, why would you not just put, you know, Kansas in the Midwest? It just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, the second thing would be that uh, you, since you put Virginia in the Midwest, you now basically have them, and I know that the committee isn't supposed to be you know, projecting future matchups, but it's pretty clear they did, as I'll get to in a second. You now have uh, Virginia in a situation where it has to play Michigan State in Chicago if it gets to the, you know, Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, which, again, not necessarily a great thing. The reason I say that... would be the third time in three years those two teams met in the same quadrant in the tournament, Sam. Yep, absolutely. And the, the reason I say that, like, it's clear that, you know, they kind of took into account preferred placement here is that they didn't do the simple thing with Villanova and Xavier who who were both number two seeds. You know, they could have just put Villanova in the East, put Xavier in the South. That would be Xavier in Louisville and Villanova in Philadelphia. Basically they would play in Philadelphia. Why wouldn't you do that? 
I'll well, tell you, well, you know what? Why? I, it doesn't make sense to me. Why? Well, here, I, let me step you there. Here's, I actually like that because I, I think it's incredibly unfair when, now I know you can't project all the way through the bracket. So if you look up, and no, like some no, no, I agree has, with you that I agree with, I agree with it in principle, right? But it's literally like within the committees. Oh, like, I know. Yeah. But that, that's like, like bylaws is, that they shouldn't be doing this. Right. But this is one of those things where like, I don't get angered about it because, um, I agree with it. Like, I don't like you can't project like if a six seed ends up with a home court advantage over a, you know, a, a whatever seed, a higher seed at some point. Like, what are you going to do? But the idea and we've seen it way too often that a one seed ends up playing a road game against a two seed. Like I was the beat writer at Memphis when they were the one seed in the West. UCLA was the two and they had to play in Oakland in the Elite Eight. And it was like 17,000 UCLA fans like Memphis was playing a road game mm-hmm. and. Um, I, I've always thought that that's crazy when that happens. And if you can avoid that, you should. So I, I read, like, okay, here's, here's my question to you then. Okay. Why would you not switch Michigan state and Oklahoma? Yeah, I, got, I, I, well, I, I think the thing would be like the Villanova Philly thing is just so like, it just like, that is like literally home, you know? Oh, and Xavier, real, let me just real quick. Super close too. Like it, it's, it's a real, yeah, yeah, a real quick note on the Villanova thing. I talked to Jay Wright on Saturday night after the Big East title game. He said that they had been planning that back well, like well into last season because they normally play five, six games there and sure. you can only play three. And so this was something and there's no guarantee. He basically said we didn't like doing it, but you basically don't know if for the next 25 years you're ever going to get the chance like this again where you're going to have a regional in your home venue kind of that kind of deal. So they took a chance and it's just got to be a little bit of a bitter pill for Wright and Villanova right now when Sam, you're making the exact point that needs to be made where it just seems like the easiest, most simple switch between Xavier and Villanova and the Big East kind of got screwed in that regard. Absolutely. Okay. And then there are just like the little stuff that you look down the bracket. So Iowa has to play Temple in New York. Uh, that That's not going to, that, that's going to essentially be a road game for Iowa. Uh, it's not nearly as bad though, as the fact that Yale gets to go to Providence as a 12 seed to play Baylor. Uh, that is going to be a road game for Baylor. That is Yale's first NCAA tournament. Uh, what what do you think the committee did here? I want to I want to hear what you guys think. Go ahead. I, I mean, I, okay. Well, I will say that with the amount of small schools that that really um, just get the short end, when this happens, I don't have too much sympathy for the bigger schools like in a Baylor-Yale situation, even though I acknowledge that's not really what you want to do. And the, and as you said, Sam, off air before we started recording, there's really no reason why you can't put if, – if Yale and Little Rock are both 12s – and by the way, I agree both of those teams are 12s. That was a good seeding yes. job. There's just no reason why you can't flip those, send Little Rock – to Providence instead of Yale, you definitely have a, a valid point there. Um, uh, my criticism with the committee is they don't put enough time. I, I said this when I, I wrote this three, four years ago when I did the mock selection. This is the fact of the matter. They are way too squeezed on time when it comes to bracketing. They meet on Wednesday before Selection Sunday. They start putting teams into the field and what they call seed scrubbing. They look at a list. They deliberate. They look at a list. They vote on teams. It happens. It happens. It's a very long process, and it's a necessary process. But the fact of the matter is they do not bracket the field until at the absolute earliest, late Saturday night, and usually it's on Sunday. To me, when you've got all these contingencies and you need to be able to step back and look at who do we have here, well, let's look at the way these teams are seeded and where we're bracketing all these teams. To me, it is too much of a time crunch. I think seeding is a much bigger issue than selection because in the big picture, it doesn't really matter. I think Monmouth should have been in the field. I think it's an absolute joke that Tulsa is in the field, and we can get to that. But it ultimately doesn't matter with those teams because VCU is the only team in, in George Mason, really, where they have made the final four, you know, in terms of teams that just barely got in. Most years, that doesn't really matter. With bracketing, it does matter because you're affecting seeds and matchups with ones, twos, threes, and fours. That can have huge impacts on teams that go into the final four, have a chance to win. To me, they're still way too sloppy when it comes to this. And a lot of the criticism that's being directed at the NCAA selection committee, I think is warranted. I will also say this and GP, let me just rant here for a second. Then I'll hand it over to you. Every year is the worst year that it's ever been seated this year. I will say it does feel like a, a pretty brutal screw up here. And for me, it's hard to, to marry that concept with the fact that I went and met with the selection committee on Saturday. Uh, I talked with every single member they were productive conversations. They cited everything from Sagarin to Ken Palm to LRMC to putting into context how they were using this data and how they weren't 
totally thrilled with the fact a couple members said that, you know, these RPI based team sheets, I see what you're saying, because I have huge issues with that overall. And GP, you've got a terrific stat that you tweeted out in regard to small teams and RPIs that I want you to drop in there. But the fact of the matter is, it's a lot of empty talk when you see what the bracket is here. There's there's too many mistakes that are being made. There are too many trends that are continuing here. So there is something to the fact that every year feels like the worst year. And this this really could be one of the worst jobs by the committee. And that is not trying to take away the time and consideration and the smart people that are on that committee. But sometimes maybe you just get so tangled up, you get in your own way. I mean, some of these seatings and in, in, in teams that didn't get in versus other teams that did, like, it's really hard to justify. And Joe Castiglione, the chair of the committee, who's, you know, God bless his heart, he's got to go through an absolute ringer for the next 24 to 48 hours and explain to him how, explain to everyone how Tulsa is in, how St. Bonaventure isn't, how Monmouth isn't, how you could justify putting Vandy in, how Syracuse is even a 10 seed. Like, that's not an easy thing to do because a lot of it is not based in a lot of logical uh, reality. So overall... As he showed after on the selection show. With, without a doubt. So I, I have issues, um, and GP, I'll say this and then, and then toss it over to you. I, I like that we, that, we, that we complain about this stuff now because it only matters for about 48 hours. When the ball tips off, pretty much with Vandy, which I'll say because that's an amazing game, but more, moreover on Thursday, people don't care anymore. We get to the games. That's you know, we just want to watch the games. We want to watch the bracket. We want to look at our sheet and see how we're doing and all that stuff. But that doesn't mean we can't and shouldn't complain about it now because the process needs to get better. And the committee is doing things that it that I do believe that there is an evolutionary process with the committee. And maybe ultimately five, ten, fifteen years from now, this is going to be a good thing because it was such a bad screw up of a year on the whole that some wholesale changes are going to have to be made going forward. So you mentioned the little guys, so-called little schools, little guys, um, really, yeah, which this trans- is an embarrassment, by the way, which translates Coming, what you're to, about to say. It translates to outside of the power five leagues. I started uh, documenting this a few years back, just noticing a pattern. Um, and this year was the, it is, it's, I write a column every Sunday night of, of selection Sunday. And I start it the same way every year and I never have to change it. Like I never have to change the guy. Like I, I really just cut and paste from last year's. It's the because it's you just you have to change the names of the schools. But the point is exactly the same. For the twelfth consecutive year, the two highest RPIs left out of the field of sixty-eight uh, both belong to non-power five schools. And this year, actually eight, the top eight RPIs left out of the, of the NCAA tournament come from non-power five schools. Last year, it was also eight, the top eight. In other words, this year, St. Bonaventure, 30th in the RPI, left out. Akron, 34th in the RPI, left out. St. Mary's, 38th in the RPI, left out. Princeton, 39th in the RPI, left out. San Diego State, 41st in the RPI, left out. Valpo, 49th in the RPI, left out. Monmouth, 52nd in the RPI, left out. Hofstra, 54th in the RPI, left out. In other words, if you are a Power 5 school with a top 54 RPI, and you're eligible. So like with Louisville being the exception here. If you are a top 54 RPI and you're in a Power 5 league, you're in the tournament. There is literally no Power uh, There's no pa- uh, power 5 school with a top 54 RPI that didn't make it. But there are eight non-Power 5 schools with, with top 54 RPIs who did not make it. And this is the way it is every single year. And it just speaks to a, a larger issue about the selection process. Because if you guys watch the selection show, Joe, who, who I like, I met with Joe a couple of days ago in studio in New York, and I think he's a terrific athletic director and a, and a, and a gentleman. Um, but you know, you, you saw him on the selection show, and he was consistently talking about top 50 wins, top 50 wins, top 50 wins, which means top 50 RPI wins, which is why, by the way, when people ask me why I rely so heavily on top yeah. 50 wins when I rank the top 25 and one every day, it's because that's what they do. I know that that top 50 wins is like what really matters. It's not top Unfortunately, 100. by the way, I hate because yeah. it's an arbitrary cutoff. It's, and yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt you, GP, just yeah. one quick thing, because I talked with Joe specifically about this on Saturday. And it was like, well, but you got to look at what, how close 48 and 52 are. And, you know, it shouldn't just have to always necessarily be top 50 wins. Okay, but clearly 
And when you look at a flawed system like the RPI, top 50 clearly is becoming this line of delineation mm -hmm. that the committee is relying way too much on. No, I'm it, done. Continue. Yeah. No, it's it. All right. So um, they talk about, and like Joe was on television, like talking about, well, they, you know, they had, you know, with Tulsa, four top 50 wins. And this team had this many top 50 wins and top 50 wins and top 50 wins, which is fine, except here's the problem. The top 50 schools won't play anybody outside of the power five leagues in a, in a mm -hmm. fair setting. In other words, you can't get, if you're Princeton, you can't get a neutral court game with a top 50 program. You can't get a, a home game with a top 50 program. So here's what, and I don't want to say it's a conspiracy, but like that's the word somebody else might use. I don't, I, I just, here's the deal. Here's what happens. The power five schools refuse to play that level of a so-called mid-major team in a fair setting. They might invite them to their place, but they ain't getting them on a neutral court, and they sure as hell ain't going to their place. And, and, and so they, they refuse to schedule you, so you can't get top 50 games. And then you know what they say during championship week leading up to Selection Sunday? Well, you don't have any top 50 wins. Where's your top 50 wins? Well, we can't get top 50 wins because you won't play us. I mean, the whole thing's rigged from the scheduling mm -hmm. that happens a year in advance. What, what, you, what, what unfolds on Selection Sunday has been set up by the way the Power 5 schools consistently schedule the good schools outside of the Power 5. There's a handful of exceptions that are big enough brands now that they can go get games like Wichita State, like Gonzaga. But for the most part... No, hey, hey, well, where's Akron's top 50 wins? You, you won't schedule Akron. They can't get them. Where's, where's Hofstra's top 50 wins? You won't schedule Hofstra, so they can't get them. Um, and, and, and so the whole thing, like it's, it's I don't want to say it's infuriating, but it is, um, it's, it's a rigged game. It cannot be a coincidence that every single year the best RPI teams that get left out of the field are from outside of the power structure. Like it happens every year without exception. And it's been that way for a long, long time. And it, it just, it, it, it highlights what I think most of us know is, is this whole thing is rigged in favor of the power five institutions. Yeah. Let me, let me kind of bounce off of that too, because uh, our colleague Doug Gottlieb actually asked, uh, you know, Joe Stiglione about St. Mary's for instance, uh, he said, and I quote, just didn't do enough to test themselves against the iron. That's a fair statement. They had like 18 games against uh, sub top 200 teams. Totally makes sense. They wouldn't have any top 50 wins if not for losing to Gonzaga, which they swept during the regular season. Okay, so you're complaining about the fact that Gonzaga or that St. Mary's won two out of three games against Gonzaga. And you're delineating a difference between Gonzaga being ranked like 52 versus number 46 in the RPI. Oh, sure. What is the difference between them having two top 50 wins or zero top 50 wins whenever they play Gonzaga? Like they beat Gonzaga twice. Gonzaga's team quality is not changing as they move up the RPI by sitting on the sidelines uh, during championship week after they finish the West Coast Conference tournament. It is insane. I think their best road game win was at Loyola. Well, that's wrong. They actually won at Gonzaga. It's a strength <laughs> of schedule situation compared to teams that are right there against them. Hey, that's totally fine. If you want to leave St. Mary's out because of strength of schedule, go ahead. But don't then create this ridiculous circular argument about how, you know, you need these top 50 wins. These, uh, you know, the only reason they had these top 50 wins is because Gonzaga moved up. It's so stupid. It is incredible. Uh, and if the other, the other uh, kind of contradiction that I wanted to bring up, he actually did point to the fact that they used, uh, you know, like you look at all of the metrics that are out there and stuff, you know, uh, they all pointed to Wichita being, uh, you know, one of the best teams, right? Mm -hmm. One of the teams worth uh, putting in. Well, you look at St. Mary's. St. Mary's has every single thing. They have a number 41 RPI, number 34 Ken Palm, 32 Sager, and 35 KPI. That is like 20 spots higher than Tulsa in every single category. Right. It is insane to put Tulsa in this tournament. Well, let's talk you can about, look let's... at St. Mary's. You can look at Valpo. You can look at uh, you know other schools, wherever. It is insane to put to put. Tulsa in this tournament over any of those little schools. Well, that's the thing. Like, okay, so he, he essentially justified, and we predicted this would be the way it would go, yep. um, putting Wichita State in the field because, hey, the metrics are good, right? You know, they, they, we, we've got all these metrics, and, and they all say Wichita State's good. So, Poster team. Yeah. Poster so, team this year. Well, I, I firmly believe that because such a big deal was made at Wichita State, because it was so high in Ken Palm, that the committee, 
And by the way, I was wrong. You guys are right. Mm-hmm. I did not think they would get into the tournament. They got in. They're going to play in Dayton. Mm-hmm. But I firmly believe that because it was such a high-profile school and because it was so high in Ken Palm, they wanted to, they went to CYA mode with Wichita State, which, by the way, I believe should be in the field. I think it's one of the 30 best, six best. But yep. um, I think they swung and missed or miscalculated in how they thought, eh, well, we put Wichita State in, we might miss some heat here, completely you know, failing to realize – uh, other huge missteps along the way that it, you know, that's not going to cross out other things that have happened. No, my, my point, yeah, and, my point and, is, and let me also point out too, that I think that Vanderbilt actually got in in large part because of advanced metrics. Yeah. Uh, you look at them, they're number 26 in RP or uh, in Ken Palm, they're number 60 in RPI, uh, two top 50 wins, which is less than anyone. And, and really they're putting such an emphasis on these top 50 wins. I don't know how you put in, Vanderbilt, who has two home top 50 wins, and that's it, really, to their resume. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that they kind uh, of kind of focused in on these advanced metrics for Vanderbilt as well. Yeah, my, my point is, if you're going to look at Vanderbilt's lack of a resume and put them in because they have the metrics suggest they're good, and you you've admitted on national television you're going to do that for Wichita State, why not St. Mary's as well? It's the same. It's the same no, argument. no, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the most contradictory okay. thing that right. they could do. Because Van, Vanderbilt's 27th at, at Kim Palm, you, and, and St. Mary's is 34th. There's seven spots. There's, there's, they're separated by seven spots in Kim Palm. Like, if, you, if you're going to look at St. Mary's and say they didn't do anything, well, like, really neither did Wichita State, and really neither did Vanderbilt. But you, but you put them in because of the metrics. Then, then like, why draw the line? But Vanderbilt's an SEC school. I'm not saying, like, whatever, but, like, I'll just – these are facts. Vanderbilt's an SEC school. Wichita State's a brand. St. Mary's is St. Mary's. Who cares, right? So you get left out. Yeah. The Tulsa thing um, is fascinating because Bracket Matrix, who, mm-hmm. which documents every, <laughs> every bracket on the Internet, right? Um, I think there's 59 that were documented. Literally zero had, had Tulsa in the field, all right? Tulsa um, got – they lost to Memphis. Like, the, how about this? Tulsa in its last three games before Selection Sunday went one and two with two double-digit losses to Memphis. Memphis is ranked at, like, 137th in the RPI, all right? Like, and, and one of them, they got smashed. Um, so no bracketologist, nobody, not the ones you know, not the ones you don't know, literally zero had Tulsa in the field. Tulsa's 58th at Kenpom. They're 58th in the RPI. And um, – did you see the tweet I had about Shaq Harrison? No. Oh, God, this is terrific. So on Saturday night, one of uh, Shaq Harrison, who's Tulsa's second leading scorer, by the way, um, like somebody tweets at him and says, hey, yo, you guys making the NCAA tournament or what? And Shaq Harrison actually responded back to the person, no, man, we lost to Memphis by like 30. We're out. <laughs> that was Shaq Harrison. He plays for Tulsa. He, he's on Twitter saying, no, man, no, bro. That's what it was. No, bro. We lost to Memphis by like 30. <laughs> We're out. <laughs> okay. Listen. Even Shaq. Okay. Not, not a single bracketologist in the world thought Tulsa was in the field. Shaq Harrison didn't think Tulsa was in the field. He went, he went and deleted the tweet tonight. <laughs> he deleted it. And his next tweet was like, God is good all the time or something. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that's it, too good. And, uh, it's unbelievable. You know what? I feel, I feel really bad for Joe Castiglione here, too, because there are going to be people that kind of ask him about the Tulsa connection, given the fact that sure. he's Oklahoma's uh, you know, athletic director. And I do feel bad for him on that end. But – they just got this so incredibly immeasurably wrong that I kind of don't. Yeah, well, it's, one thing, is... it's one thing when a school like loses its last game, like in the final minute or they're competitive. Like when you get smashed, this was sort of my argument against Vandy as well. Like when you're a bubble team and your last impression is just getting smashed on a neutral court by a bad team. For Vandy, it was Tennessee without Kevin Punter. Uh, for Tulsa, it was against Memphis. Like to me, that's like you, you, did your, you did my job for me. If I'm on the committee, mm-hmm. you did my job for me. You had an opportunity. I didn't need you to go out and beat Michigan State or Oklahoma. I just needed you not to get smashed by Tennessee or Memphis. You did my job for me. And the idea that both those schools got in? Like, listen, let me be very clear. Good for Frank. Good for Kevin. Happy for him. Whatever. But, like, I can't. I was shocked that both those schools got in, especially Tulsa. Tulsa just to me to is shock, the all- I was just as shocked as Shaq Harrison. I mean, listen, Tulsa to me is the all-time stunner. Air Force 06 was kind of the the bar before this. To me, this this smashes it. I mean, listen, Tulsa was not on the radar 
of pretty much anyone. And I mean, by, by radar, I mean, wasn't in top eights, wasn't in first eight outs. Uh, I'm simply stunned how the committee could have even circled back to this when you've got teams like, like Monmouth, which had uh, Monmouth had like one home game the first two months of the season. And that just to touch on what GP was saying, like they just don't get the opportunities. And by the way, when they get into these exempt events and they beat these big schools, like you got to give them the benefit of the doubt because they don't have as many chances. Okay. It is simply beyond me. And, and by the way, you know, the NCAA has kind of done it to itself in a weird way and not necessarily done it to itself because it's on the programs as well. But if SMU and Louisville are eligible for the tournament, we're not dealing with Tulsa. And guess what? We're not dealing with Wichita State That's because the- that was the second to last team. And if you look at the one to 68 true seed list that the NCAA releases, and by the way, credit to them because it should be doing this. Shockingly, Vandy was in. Syracuse was way in. Like, right. what on earth are we even talking about with here? With a number 71 RPI. What 71 here and but you know how hard say, it is for a power five school to have a 71st rpi if you're like ama- successful amazingly hard and now here's here, two more quick points i want to make on this one it was always going to be that i mean we spoke about this on previous podcasts there was always going to be situations because this year was so wacky and because the bubble was so thick and weird and as gp said it was a full bubble, full bubble. you were always going to have contradictory things <laughs> with teams as resumes that's right. You were always going to have contradictory things with teams' resumes, but I didn't realize that it was going to be this drastic. And so that's why, like, you can't really uh, marry the fact that Wichita State gets in. And then Temple, by the way, it's not even Tulsa in Ken Palm. Temple is 86th in Ken Palm. And you could ease. I, I think I feel like if Temple didn't get in, you really wouldn't have heard too much outcry over it. OK, but it gets in. That's fine. Good for Fran. We got a Fran versus Fran game happening in the first that? round there. McCaffrey versus Dumpy, without a doubt. But there, the, the committee is just all over the place with all this stuff, and um, there's just got to be they've they've got to hit a little bit of a reset button here because I do believe most of the past five or six years, while we had like the UCLA and the SMU shockers and and, and stuff like that in recent years, I get all that. There has been like a general like, okay, we're getting better at this. We're getting better. That's a weird seating. Like we always have our complaints, but I really feel like it's been a long time since there's been this much widespread and legitimate criticism thrown the committee's way. I just think it was a really tough year to to see the field, to select the field. And they they overthought it. They got themselves twisted. And now we're in a situation here where they're going to be just this will be an infamous year. I think we will remember 2016, five, 10 years from now, just because of how, how bizarre this, the seating is and, and the bracketing there within. One last point on Tulsa. And you mentioned like Tulsa only gets in because SMU and Louisville are banned from the tournament. So like, seriously, who's got this game figured out better than Frank Hay? He gets out of Miami. <laughs> he gets out of my, check this out. He gets out of Miami right before the NCAA comes, goes to Missouri. Gets out of Missouri right before the NCAA comes, pops to Tulsa, and now gets into the NCAA tournament only because another school got in trouble. How good is that? That is an amazing point, GP. Didn't even think about that. How about that? Well, you, you know what's going to happen here. Hmm. You know, he, he has all these guards leaving. He has Shaq Harrison, James Woodard gone. Uh, he has, you know, Markel, Har- Markel Curtis, sorry, uh, gone. You know what he's going to do? Hmm. He's going to jump to Trent Johnson's job at TCU. <laughs> no longer Trent Johnson's job, yeah. Your, 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 your next Jeez. head coach at St. Louis, Frank Haight. <laughs> no, it's unbelievable. Like the Frank Haight story, we're going to need a 30 for 30 on that someday. The Frank Haight story is just terrific, man. Seriously, um, who are Frank Haight's sources? How, how does he find out everything beforehand? Dude, the guy who got out of two schools. Now, I'm, listen, I want to be fair. We're having fun with this, but, like, he's never been, like, directly tied to whatever all right so like it is what it is but like the guy who gets out of miami just in time and missouri just in time subsequently gets into the ncaa tournament because louisville had prostitutes it's uh, it's actually kind of amazing it to is be honest. it's absolutely amazing among the teams that got left out south carolina you know what that means right oh. shout out to devin downey Oh my gosh! My, yeah, you my know heart, what, though? my heart broke for Devin Downey's alma mater. Poor, poor, the poor Gamecocks. But do you feel bad I for know. him? I don't really feel bad for him because, and this is where the NCAA selection committee does a little bit of of retribution for itself. South Carolina did not schedule. Listen again, there's inconsistencies because you can make this case with St. Mary's, but South Carolina just did not schedule all that well. And once its schedule got tougher, it was one game over 500 the rest of the way. So it, it needed one more good win. 
and it just i mean it, it just didn't get it it's um it's it's weird though man bonaventure to me two things one valpo's getting like no love to me valpo like they they, yeah. they didn't even come close valpo's are valpo is one of the 36 best at large candidates in the pool like without question everyone's yep. forgetting about valpo i'm not shocked they didn't get in but i thought they might be a little closer when you look at the nit field and and the overall rank and then to me bonaventure is kind of an indictment on what the committee has always hammered home like road wins, true road wins. Those should help you. They had a really, really good road record. It was like eight and five, nine and five, nine and six, something like that. Um, but Bonaventure doesn't get in, and it's kind of ridiculous. And by the way, the commissioner, um, kudos to her for putting out a really stern statement that was basically, and she's just sticking up for her school as she should. But you don't usually see commissioners come out that hot and heavy against mm-hmm. against the committee like this but it was basically like i want to see the data i want to see why you did not put bonaventure in because there are teams in this field that frankly the resumes don't stack up and she's absolutely right bernadette mcglade i had somebody who's close to the south carolina program they, they were like what do you think and i was like you should i think you're probably fine and this was early in the week and they were like i don't know i don't have a good feeling like they said and i think i think our buddy seth davis actually said was among the first people like mm-hmm. on, on Twitter to say, hey, keep an eye on South Carolina. Everybody's got them in the field, but it feels like SMU from yeah, a couple years absolutely. ago. Yeah. yeah. So I wrote it S- on Thursday, yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. So shout out to Seth. Hey, shout out to you too, Sam. And by the way, we now have people. Devin Downey was at the SEC tournament. We now. Oh have, my God, yeah. We now have people on Twitter telling us that they actually like walk up to Devin Downey and, and explain to him how he gets shouted out on the Ion College Basketball Podcast, which he must think is the most um, – like the strangest thing ever, right? Can you imagine having a stranger walk up to you and say, hey, um, the, the, um, the, the guys who do the Ion College Basketball Podcast at CBS Sports shout you out every time. It's like, what? <laughs> he, actually told, he, actually, he actually told the guy who, um, who told him, he was like, he was like eh, that's cool. And I, and the, but the guy who, uh, who relayed the message to me, he goes, I don't know if he really thought it was cool, if he really thought it was weird, <laughs> but, it, but, he, but he definitely, <laughs> definitely acknowledged it. So shout out to yeah. Devin Downey for sure. And Frank Martin, there's always next year, right? Maybe they can get in there uh, next year. So listen, I had to write the, the South region preview. And so I started diving into that. Man, they didn't do Kansas any favors. Nope. I, uh, How about this? Nine, run, it, run it down, GP, because I have not even really t- taken in the South yet. Okay. So nine of the top 25 teams at Ken Palm right now are in the South. Nine of the top 25 Mm-mm. are in the South. You've got uh, Kansas, obviously. Yukon's in the top 25 at Ken Palm. Maryland's in the top 25 at Ken Palm. Cal's in the top 25 at Ken Palm. Arizona's in the top 25 at Ken Palm. Wichita State's in the top 25 at Ken Palm. Uh, Vandy, I think, is top 25 at Kimpom. Miami and Villanova, top 25 at Kimpom. Nine of the top 25 Kimpom teams are in the South. And how about this? Five guys with Final Fours. You've got uh, Bill Self, obviously. Um, Jay Wright, Jim Laranaga, Kevin Ollie, Greg Marshall. And then on top of that, Sean Miller, who's widely regarded as, like, maybe the best guy who doesn't have a Final Four. But then, like, Fran Dumphy's in there, really good coach. Um... Let me look at who else it is. Um, uh, guys who are respected as good basketball coaches. Like mm-hmm. that—that is—that is a coaches region, and that's a—that's uh, probably a talent region and a talent region. Like Kansas is the number one overall seed by a wide margin, and they got stuck with. Like, like it's not crazy to think Kansas like could lose in the Sweet Sixteen to a Maryland or a Cal. Like that's not a, that's not an insane thing. I mean, they could lose in the round of 32 with the like heater that can, uh, Connecticut's on right now. Right, right. No shot I picked that. Um, but uh, I won't but pick that, it either. But like, like Jalen Adams is knocking down 60 footers. I know that that was that was really kind of insane and ridiculous. GP, it is a really good region. Um, the South overall, Kansas, uh, no favors whatsoever. Um, uh, to me, I think the East is the most intriguing. Because it's got Carolina, Indiana, Kentucky, and it's also got, you know, we have to do the, so who did you pick GP for the top five? We have to write down the top five players in each region. So who did you go oh, with? God, that was hard set? too. I, I like, I'm, I, See, it gets, it gets hard without yeah. a doubt. Well, okay. GP's has to be the hardest, right? Yeah. Okay. I know. Well, I went with Jalen well, Brown. Brown. Maybe I, went, Matt's. I went with Jalen Brown. I went with mm-hmm. uh, Mellow Tremble. I went with Fred Van Vliet. I went with Perry Ellis. And uh, I went with Jared Utah. 
Those not bad at all. Here's so here's, like no Ryan Anderson. I know. I like no, it. No, no I one from Villanova. No, Ron Baker, like, no Josh Hart. No Ryan Anderson. No um uh no you know uh nobody from UConn. Only only mellow from Maryland. Um yeah, like it was hard. It was hard to do that to cut that down to five. Like I felt bad leaving off some of the people I left off. Nobody from Miami. Like I yeah, felt, like Sheldon McClellan. Yeah. How about yeah. nobody from Vandy? They've got two pros. And nobody didn't put either one of them on there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so like, yeah, it was that. That was in terms of doing that South preview. That was the toughest um, thing to do is try to whittle that right. down to uh, five. But uh, I do have Kansas coming out of the South still. I uh, I have Nova actually coming out of the South. Um, just real quick on the East though, because you got uh, you got Bryce and Marcus at, for the top five players. You got Bryce and Marcus at Carolina. You've got Ben Bentel and Chris Dunn at Providence. You've got Yogi Ferrell at Indiana. You've got you've got uh, Jamal Murray and Tyler Ulis at Kentucky. You got Jamil Warney at Stony Brook, who I did put in the top five because Jamil Warney would start for any program in the country right now. He is that he's playing that well. Notre Dame has Demetrius Jackson and Zach August, who are both really good. West Virginia has Devin Williams. Stephen F. Austin has Thomas Walkup, who is going to lead Stephen F. Austin to an upset over West Virginia. Because guess what? Stephen F. Austin is an even better defensive team than West Virginia. I'm going to get that game in Brooklyn. Wisconsin has Nigel Hayes, and Xavier doesn't have an outright stud, but. Tri- Von Blewett and Edmund Sumner are both really, really good. To me, when I looked at the GP, because I was looking around at each region and when we were doing top five players, there are. St- I understand that from a casual standpoint that a lot of fans or who are going to follow this tournament may maybe only know five or six stars. But when you, if you know the sport, there are still plenty of just like dudes that are capable of really stepping up in huge moments. I mean, look at Iowa State versus Iona. That's one of the best first round games in the Midwest. And you've got Nyang, Monty Morris, AJ English is going to have a really good shot to play in the NBA. Like that's a freaking fantastic game with straight up college stars in that one. So I think we actually have a really good chance Thursday and Friday to have good games with guys that college basketball fans know having like super big moments. Yeah, like look at Seton Hall Gonzaga in the Midwest. That's a wild game. Like, yeah, like Isaiah Whitehead against that front court with Wilcher and Sabonis. Like, how is Kyle Wilcher going to play in that game? (laughs) Honestly, they're just going to put him in ball screens the whole time. (sighs) It's going to be really, really interesting. Um, Hey, the West Virginia Stephen F. Austin game. Did did uh, did Brad Underwood work for Hugs? I don't think so, but I don't know for sure. I don't think so. Did he? I feel like he, I'm not positive. I feel like he might have worked. He for, might have. I feel like he might have worked for Hugs at some point. I have to look that up. But by the way, Brad Underwood now 88 and 13 as a head coach, 59 and one against Southland opponents. Three years, three NCAA goodness. tournament appearances, three regular season Southland titles, three Southland uh, tournament titles. Like this is his last. I'm sorry, Stephen F. Austin fans. He's, yeah, no, he's gone. This is over with this year. He he'll either get. Um, TCU or Oklahoma State if it opens or St. Louis mm-hmm. like he's getting one of these jobs that's opening 100% like it is uh, yeah. I mean like yeah it, I agree GP you nailed that by the way he did coach under Huggins yeah not, so like that's a neat little storyline too mm, that is that is a good story and we don't have too many of those in the first round that I know of um, I, Kentucky fans are paranoid over Cal and Huggins like in the same region but they'd have to meet in the Elite Eight um, good job. Uh, and the committee, I did actually ask committee members about this. I said, listen, like, what about a situation here? Joe Dooley was a longtime assistant on herself. Florida Gulf Coast is clearly a 16. Kansas is clearly one. I mean, they swore to me that if it fell like that way, they would not intentionally move the game because of that, which I get there's something to that. But, like, that's also, you know, that's such a brutal situation. I'm glad that we didn't have that. And what was – there was another one between, like, a one or a two seed and, like, a 15 or a 16 that would have been um, – that would have – that would have been a coach going up against a former assistant. I'm just totally, I'm totally blanking on what it would have been. There was another one there. Um, but overall, I will say this, like I, I'm, I'm frustrated with the seating. Uh, Purdue has no business being a five to me whatsoever. I've, I've talked to Duke is not a four seed. Like just flip yeah, like, those. Purdue like, can lose that game easily to little rock. Now they, like, they should not be a 12. I, I, or, I agree. And there are a lot like, I'm sorry, but there are a lot of really good, 12s and and even 13s that have a good that have a yeah. good solid chance here like i'm a, i'm a spoiler right now i have hawaii beating cal come at me come at me right now i don't right. think that's crazy they have size they have guard play when was hawaii's game was that saturday night yeah 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 i watched i watched that yeah it was really late so yeah no i i like that hawaii team and that's another great story too young first year head coach ncaa tournament we yeah. got a few of those i 
do I have this wrong? But does did Hawaii, Sam? You might know this because you might have written the, the news there. I just haven't had time to look this up. Didn't Hawaii ban themselves from next yep. year's postseason? Hawaii's that- banned from next year's postseason play. So like juniors, oh, like sure. Aaron Valdez and like Stefan Jankovic, uh, this is their one chance to play in the NCAA tournament. Like That's crazy. this is going to be a fun storyline. Uh, where are they? They're in Spokane. Like that's going to be a fun thing to watch for. Like yeah. I, I am thrilled for all of these games. That one, the Seton Hall uh, Gonzaga. Gonzaga game and Iowa State Iona are the three for me that like immediately jumped off the page. All right, you want to run through our final fours and then get out of here? Sure, and then we'll kind of hit on maybe some more of the uh, the game stuff we're looking for, like forward to, and maybe like. Oh wait, uh, we have, we have to talk about Wichita and Vandy probably, right? Yeah, we should actually probably should do that because we won't have another podcast before that. I mean, I'll just briefly say that it's the to me it's the most it's the first. There have been some good first four matchups, but I've never looked forward to a first four game more than this one, partly because. Um, uh, Van Bleen and Baker's both seniors. I mean, I think they're really going to show up for this, but Vandy's got that whole, like, Vandy's roster, if you went to, like, it's more talented on the whole, but they've been so inconsistent. So I just want to see if it's going to, I think it's going to be a really good game. But if you told me right now that Wichita State beats Vandy by, like, 22, like, I wouldn't be shocked just because I feel that Wichita State is going to show up no matter what, and I just don't know what to expect from Vandy. Well, we just watched Vandy lose by a million to Tennessee, so there ain't nothing crazy about yeah. losing by 20 to Wichita State. I don't think that'll happen, but... Uh... I did pick Wichita State in that game. In fact, I picked Wichita State to beat Vandy and then to beat Arizona. Same. As did I, which scares me. Yeah, yeah, because (laughs) this will be the year Sean Miller somehow gets to the Final Four. I was thinking, I've been thinking that all year, honestly, I swear. Like, it's just that weird year where something like that could happen. I mean, like, if they get past that Wichita game, they get Miami, who I think is another, like, underrated really good team like if they were in the west regional they would probably be my final four pick like the west region by the way is terrible (laughs) it's always tough to see the west because there aren't a lot of great teams out west so you end up kind of just throwing them into the pile yeah like last year there was wisconsin and arizona like they were both you know arizona was the number one two seed wisconsin was what the number two uh one seed i believe this year they have the worst one seed they have what like the second or third best two seed they have the worst three seed in Texas A&M. They have the worst four seed in Duke. They have the worst five seed, in my opinion, in Vanderbilt. They have the worst seven seed in Oregon State. Uh, I mean, Baylor is the just, five in the West. It just goes on and on. Like this regional is bad or this region is really bad. And, uh, you know, like I don't understand why you couldn't have, you know, kind of evened it out a little bit for Kansas. Yeah. Um, all right. My final four. And we can kind of explain this a little more if we want on the on the Wednesday podcast because it's it's getting late and I definitely want to get this up. But uh, I but by the way I hate it. <laughs> I hate doing it so fast and I, I'm not com- mm-hmm. confident at all. Out of the South I have Nova. Out of the West I have Oklahoma. Out of the Midwest I have Michigan State. And out of the uh, East I have Z- uh, I have Xavier. I have all twos in my final four. Okay, go ahead, Sam. I have Kansas, I have Oklahoma, I have Kentucky, and I have Virginia. I think Virginia is going to get some revenge on Michigan State. I have Kansas, I have Oklahoma, I have North Carolina, and I have Michigan State. And then I've got Michigan State and Kansas in the national championship game, and I've got Michigan State winning the national championship. I have o- I have Oklahoma over Michigan State in the national championship. Buddy Hill, national champion? I'm riding it. It's the year of the, the Seth Curry ballers, and Buddy's the closest thing to Steph. And I'm just going to take – I'm, I'm going to just – why not? You know what? Yeah, why they're, not? they're fun. When they get hot, they're, they're really, really good. And, oh, by the way, um, Buddy Heald came .01 tenths Woo! of a second of, from what – like one of the – to me, it's better than Jalen Adams' shot for UConn because he double-clutched in midair, running, hitting it at the, at the, just at the buzzer. That yeah. was, Double-teamed, by the way. Double-teamed and did it. That was almost like just a ridiculous all-time highlight, but just didn't count. I'm taking Oklahoma to win it. What about you, Sam? Totally unreal. I have Kansas and Virginia in my final, and I have Kansas winning. I picked Kansas at the beginning of the year. Uh, I just see no reason to go away from that. Like, they've given me no reason to bet against them at this point. Uh, they have – 
all of the depth in the world. They can match up with you in so many different ways. Uh, they have an efficient offense. They have a smothering defense. It's, it just seems like one of those years where, you know, th this is the best team in the country, in my opinion, and I'm going to go with the best team. Listen, there's no, there's nothing crazy about Kansas winning the national championship. I've got them playing for the national championship, but I will say one of the things I pointed out in my Kansas uh, number one seed story is that, you know, that whole not having a projected first round pick in the starting lineup like that, it, perhaps it's just a, a, a silly little trend, but like you usually don't win national championships without having a pro in your starting lineup, right? Like um, last year, Duke had three first round picks. Mm -hmm. um, year before that was what? Who won it the year before that? Connecticut? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They had Shabazz. They had Bass. Okay. That's one. Who's, you know, like kind of. I know, but he was like, he was, like, he, he was a first round draft pick. Uh, year before that was what? Louisville? Mm hmm. They had one. They had Trez and. Yeah, they, yeah. I, they had to, but Trez played. Yeah, but Trez wasn't a first-round draft pick. It was, yeah, you're right. He came. Uh, oh, he wasn't, and he actually yeah. came off the bench too. He wasn't in the starting lineup. No, they they had Rozier. Rozier came off the bench, I believe, on that team. They had Russ Smith though was the guy. He was a right. second-round yeah. pick. No, uh, but it's uh, Gorky Ching. Oh yeah, Gorgie was on that How team, wasn't that? he? Yeah, yeah. First round draft pick, yeah, right? I about that. Year before that was Kentucky. They had a million. Like you know, like you mm -hmm. you really don't. Again, this perhaps is just a coincidence, but the the team that cuts down the net, and I didn't go back further than that. Like, I might look that up. It's I mean, 2011 is Kemba, 2010, uh, okay. Duke might buck the trend. Did anyone on Duke get drafted um, in the first round? Yeah, Nolan Smith did, actually. He really um, did, so there you go. It's Carolina 09, obviously. 2009 was the. You can go, I mean, 08 is, 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 is Kansas, Chalmers, 07, 06 is Florida, is obvious, 05 is Carolina, it's obvious, 04, Okafor, 03, Carmelo, 02. Uh, Dixon got drafted pretty high, and they, they had a few guys who had some good looks. Go but back. anyway, yeah, yeah. You're, you're right, Chief. You don't usually, you, you don't usually win a national championship without a, a first-run draft pick in your starting lineup. So, like, again, I don't think that's going to be, like, that's not the reason I'm not picking Kansas, but it is interesting. Like if they, I guess my point is, if Kansas wins the national championship, they will do something that is very rare in college basketball, and that is win it without a projected first round draft pick. Well, here, here would here'd line. be my argument to that. Mm -hmm. uh, Connecticut coming into the NCAA tournament in 2014 was it? I guess that was 2014, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not losing my mind. Um, Shabazz or Shabazz Napier, not Shabazz Muhammad. Shabazz Napier was nowhere near a first round pick at that point. And neither was DeAndre Daniels, who also got drafted after that year. Uh, it wouldn't be crazy to me if Perry Ellis kind of rose up yeah, I can see and that. became a first round pick because yeah. he is one of the smartest, most efficient basketball players in the country. And you look at his shooting percentages, he can really knock down jumpers. He's a little bit more athletic than you think. Uh, I would not be surprised if Perry Ellis ended up being that like stretch four who you know, gets drafted 28th or 30th overall. That, that wouldn't surprise me, then. That's a good uh, point. Uh, let's end it right there, and uh, we'll be back on uh, Wednesday. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the quickest way to get your hands on the latest episodes. So go do that and uh, enjoy filling out your brackets. We will talk to you again, like I said, on Wednesday. Till then, take care.